Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit destinydayton.com. If you guys walked in, uh, you hopefully got one of these on your way in, our All for Jesus sticker. This isn't just a nice cutesy saying. Um, Our movement, the Assemblies of God, this is their global missions focus thing. This is, the, this is their slogan, okay? And I love that we're passing these out because, uh, as Pastor said, we're not going to be shy about it. We're going to ask you for money at the end of this, okay? Um, but along the way, my hope is to, to re-gear our thinking about missions. Um, I can preach a whole sermon about our missionaries and why um, there's theology upon theology about how they deserve every penny, right? I could do that. I could also preach about um, the the need to win lost souls for the lost souls' sake. And and there's a number of sermons you can preach in there as well. But today, my message really is, how do we view missions from the focus, from the lens of, it it really is, at the end of the day, all about Jesus. And so I hope that you hold on to this. I hope that you put it on your car, on your guitar case, on your laptop, on your cube at work, whatever. Because that really is my goal, my hope. Um, and I hope along the way today as well, um, you not just feel stirred up and encouraged to give, but that you feel more connected to Jesus. That's the goal as well. And I want to tell you, a little bit of faith goes an absolute long way. Um, church that I grew up in before coming down to Dayton, um, very different church, but filled with awesome men and women of God. And one in particular, I remember, and I, I, I can say this uh, now, that I was arrogant, and I I am ashamed of my attitude towards this gentleman. But there was a gentleman who came up one day, and he asked for like a prayer of boldness, because he felt like God wanted him to start bringing his Bible in and setting it on his desk at work. And that was a big deal for him. It terrified him, because he didn't know, what if someone wants to talk and I don't know what to say? He, even to come up and ask for prayer and have a mic stuck in his face was a terrifying act for him. Like, he was that kind of guy. And can I tell you, within the span of, it was something crazy, like two years, not that long, he was packing up his children and moving to Hungary and became a massive contributor building the kingdom of God in Hungary at a pastoral training school and, and church planting and all kinds of stuff. And this wasn't even a a Pentecostal church that I grew up in, okay? So that's what I'm after today. If you give Jesus just a little bit of faith, man, he can change the world with it. So I'm just letting you know. Start packing your bags. (laughs) I don't know where God's going to send you or if he's going to. But you give Jesus a little bit of faith today, and you will be amazed and I had to eat every one of my stupid, foolish words that I talked about. Oh, a big guy, okay, yeah, bring the Bible. I was a fool for saying that because I didn't see what God could do. I want to, real quickly, um, as we get ready to read our scripture, and I appreciate those of you standing uh, to honor the reading of God's word, if I can get everybody to stand. Again, reminder tonight, Mission Summit, Greg Owens. He was here right before he went off to South Africa to plant a church, and we got to hear what God was going to do, and guess what? He's back, and we got to hear, we're going to get to hear what God did do, and guess what? 
He's going to go do it all over again in a different place in South Africa. So definitely make sure you're here. Okay? If you need to sign up for the chili cook-off, okay, y you need to do that ASAP because i got to know who we're expecting chili from. Okay? If chili's not your thing, show up, bring a little side something. If you bring in some kind of food is going to be your lame excuse not to come tonight, text me or bump into me on your way out of service, and I'll give you five bucks to pick up a hot and ready. Okay? I'm serious. I absolutely will. I, for once, actually have some cash on me. It's <laughs> there will be child care tonight as well for uh, children up to uh, preschool age as well. Okay? So know that that's part of it. All right? Um, again, starts promptly at 6. If you have a chili, that means if you show up at 6.05, you're not going to get your chili judged. Okay? We are starting the whole shindig at 6. Don't roll in late even if you don't have a chili. We're starting, starting, starting at 6. Okay? Hallelujah. I think that's enough introductions. I think that's enough odds and ends. Let's go ahead, dive on in, and read um, our, our missions-focused uh, passage today. Starting at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we will wait for it with patience. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus, we've prayed a number of times this morning, but I'm just going to come to you again because I... It's got to be you, Jesus. If you're not speaking, then I don't want to say it. If you're not speaking, then I don't want anyone to hear it. But Lord, we do need to hear your voice. We do need you to speak. We need you to touch hearts. And so God, I pray that you would open ears that have been stopped up, that you would awaken hearts of stone and give people hearts of flesh. God, that you would guide my words this morning. Amen. What did we just read? Our world is is sick. The world that we live in is sick. I'm not talking about climate change. I'm not talking about pollution or droughts or any of these things. There is a main overarching problem with our planet and ultimately all of creation. It is under the weight of corruption is what scripture says. If you're sciencey at all, you may know the term entropy. It's a way that we can describe how the natural order of everything in the universe is to slide towards decay, falling apart, chaos, disorder. Only a creator can introduce order into a naturally unraveling universe. Paul says that the world is in bondage to this corruption and degradation because of sin. Creation itself, the very mountains, the trees, the rivers, it says groan to be set free from this weight. 
Now, as we read this, there was a second groaning that was part of this as well. It says that we, too, have a groan inside of us inwardly. Those who put our hope in Jesus should, it's okay, it's right, it's good, to feel a groan inside of us. It is healthy to have an underlying sense that something just isn't quite right yet, that there's some unresolved tension in the world, a sense that there's someone missing from the room, missing from the party, and until they show up, it's just not right. In the Gospels, Jesus said that if the people don't worship him, the stones will cry out in their place. One way or another, Jesus will get his praise. Now, you've likely heard an encouragement at some point in your time in church, if you've been here for a little bit, to, hey, don't let the rocks cry out. Let's worship good this morning, right? Probably heard that said to you. Well, I want to submit to you this. In the same way, do not let creation groan in your place. You have your own groan. Do not strive to be complacent and comfortable and do whatever you can to snuff out that sense of it's just not right till Jesus is here. Your body is in need of redemption. Allow it to speak that. Don't try and silence that voice. Don't ignore the bondage of corruption in the world that you live in. We spend, especially here in America, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars throughout our lifetime, right? Just to try and feel like we've got some comfort in this world. To try and feel like everything's right and good and normal. We'll distract ourselves with movies and video games and fancy meals and vacations. And don't get me wrong, it's okay to enjoy those things, right? There's beauty in God's creation and we should enjoy that. But if we allow them to, if we make that our focus, if we put our, if we drink from that as our source, as Jason was talking about this morning, ultimately it will simply serve to help us lose sight of our hope being in Jesus and our responsibility to a world that is groaning. You see, the point of groaning with creation isn't just to be nihilistic and depressed and, and miserable all the time. I'm not encouraging you to do that. But that groan, you think about it, it, it said, talked about as it in birthing pains. Birthing pains don't just exist to cause pain. They're, they're productive. They prepare a body to be ready to deliver something. And so our groaning so should be something that is active. It should drive us to action. It should cause a reaction inside of us. So again, don't mishear me today. I don't want you just bummed out talking about how miserable the world is. But allow God to, to work a pregnancy in you for something greater. Can I tell you, there are very few people who understand this groaning and how to put traction to it and, and use it to propel themselves and God's kingdom forward quite as well as missionaries. That's oftentimes exactly what they're doing. And I think missions can be defined many ways, and we'll define it a couple different ways this morning, but one key way, in a very real sense, missions is the answer to the groaning of creation.
And so I want to talk about how is that the case? What is it about this groan that, that gives us that thrust forward, that gives us action? And so firstly, I want to start by just talking about one way that we groan. The first point I want to touch on today is that we groan with creation for Christ's return, for Jesus' return. I love that we sing the Maranatha, Come Lord Jesus song this morning. You know, Pastor absolutely was spot on um, when he said earlier that, that this is a sermon that I've prepared in tears. Um, I two and a half times <laughs> welled up We'll count this morning when I would, it was snowing and I popped on, O come, O come, Emmanuel. That just spoke to me. Come, Jesus. This sermon's going to be light on jokes today. I know I typically bring a couple of those lame jokes to the table, but it's hard to preach jokes when I was up yesterday morning fighting back tears over stuff God was putting on my heart in this message. We see in Scripture that the ultimate solution, the final answer to this groaning, is when the one who made creation returns to it, to redeem it. I preached not that long ago about how it's healthy for us to long for Jesus' return. These ideas are, are one and the same. When I'm talking about groaning, when I'm talking about longing, it's the same idea. And we groan not just because we wait for him to come back and set things right. That's a benefit. I'm looking forward to him setting things right. But can I tell you, my groan, first and foremost, primarily, is to be with him. Can I tell you, if you're doing Christianity for anything other than just being with your beloved, to be with God, to dwell with your Father, you're missing it. He is the reward. Yes, he has rewards that we can receive from him. And that's all well and good. Crowns are nice. But I want the one who gives it to me. That's why you see people in Revelation laying their crowns before him. Because the crown is nice, but he's the reward. Heaven is only heaven because Jesus is there. Heaven isn't heaven because you're hoping that your dog's there or because grandma's there. Or Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. You take Jesus out of heaven and heaven now becomes wherever Jesus is. And so what does this groaning, what does this longing in us to be back and reunited with Jesus have to do with action? What does it have to do with missions, right? At the end of the day, Scripture says no man knows the day or hour of his return, right? Well, to answer this, I want to look back at the founding of the movement that our church is part of, the Assemblies of God, which has always been a, a very heavily missions-focused organization. At the start of the movement, they made a pledge, and I love this. You may have heard it from me before. You'll hear it again. Our mission, or our movement pledged to have the greatest evangelization that the world has ever seen. It's a bold claim. 
I've read the book of Acts. That was pretty good. What drove them to make such a boisterous claim? They're groaning. If you read writings from this time period within the assemblies of God, you'll notice that for many, the very reason that they were willing to hop on a boat and just go, which is what many of them did, was because they read in Scripture when Jesus said, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world, and then the end will come. They said, well, Jesus, I'd rather not wait. We'll just go and preach the gospel to the whole world now so you can come back. We don't want you to have to wait on anything. We'll go take care of that so you can come whenever. Their longing for his return caused them to do things that you and I might deem insane. The amount of faith risk that they took, and I encourage you, there's some good books out there. Talk to pastor, talk to me. It's amazing what some of these men and women did. And so missions today still remains our absolute best course of action if you want to bring Jesus quicker. It's the best thing we can do to affect that timeline. You don't have to sit around and wait, twiddle your thumbs. No, you can speed up that timeline by reaching the world with the gospel. Take it up with Scripture if, you're not necess- if you don't think that's true. Take that up with the Word of God. Don't tell me that you look forward to meeting Jesus if you aren't involved in missions or at the bare minimum supporting a missionary. That's like saying, man, I can't wait to get to the end of this awesome series on Netflix and you never hit play on the next episode. Right? I'd call you, I'd call you out on that. I'd say, oh, it doesn't seem like you really are that excited. If you're eager for something to happen, you'll take steps to make it happen. Right? Not everyone in here will travel overseas and preach to an unreached people group, but I'll tell you, every single one in here absolutely can contribute to someone who's doing that so you can see Jesus come back quicker. Imagine being a kid, and and this, I love this. I wrote this before I knew we were going to get, like, perfect Christmas-level snow today. I thrive on that. I was like, man, this is just Jesus hyping me up for my sermon. Those of you who were here when I first came in, you saw that big old goofy smile. I love it. But imagine being a kid, and it's September, and someone tells you, hey, I found a way that we can get Christmas here early. I don't know about you. I would have been like, yeah, anything, you name it. And I would have done it because I was excited for that day to come. We can do that, church for something infinitely greater than Christmas Day. I'll tell you, the only reason Christmas is good is because we get to talk about how he came to be with us, and it's just a taste of how it's going to be when he comes back. That's why I love Christmas. I embrace that tension of waiting for him to come. That's why I love O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Today I want to give you permission to push aside the screens and entertainment and whatever is numbing your longing, whatever is quieting your groaning. To push aside the things that numb you 
from your groan that you feel with your king not present. We can choose to embrace this groaning and the groaning of creation because we actually have the ability to be part of the solution. The second way that our groaning helps us to join with missionaries and practically do things is this. We groan with creation, this is right out of the scriptures, for the sons of God to be revealed. We talked about how this is the primary reason that creation is groaning. That's powerful. For the sons of God to be revealed. Now obviously, the implication within context is talking about that final resurrection day. Okay, That is the primary context within this, but I think we can apply the principle here to things we see today. Again, we don't just have to sit back and wait on it. Because can I tell you, in a really practical way, a son or daughter can't be revealed if they never became a son or daughter. You have to be a son or daughter first before you can be revealed as one. Can I tell you, a common misnomer in church today is that by default, everyone is God's children. It's not biblical. Scripture says that it's the one who believes in Jesus, and let me just say this, not believes he exists, but believes to the point of my life changes out of this belief. The one who believes is given the right to become a son or daughter of God. That's what Scripture says. If you do not believe in that way in Jesus, you have no right to call yourself a child of God. It's illegal. You have just as much right as I have right to declare myself a son of Elon Musk and inherit SpaceX. For real, though, it's foolish to say that, and yet we have so many people thinking that they've been adopted into a family that they have no legal right to be part of. We see in Scripture, and, and our Scriptures that we just read, as well as a myriad of other places that were adopted in as sons and daughters. Can I tell you, I love adoption. I, I think it's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's one of the best representations that we have of our relationship with God today. And I'm thankful so many believers do that. With that being said, that term adoption actually would have meant something a little bit different. It would have included what we do today. But there was a little nuance that we miss not living at the time this was written. You see, in the Roman world, largely due to the fact that medical systems weren't that good and kids died really young a lot, hardly anyone would adopt a young baby because that was risky. There was a decent chance that that baby wasn't going to make it into adulthood, which is depressing. A lot of times, a good number of the adoptions that took place were the adoptions of fully grown adults. Did you know that? They would, these fully grown, and uh, sorry ladies, but at the time it was mostly men, <laughs> would be adopted in. That's, can I just pause? That's what makes, like, when we write about how women can be adopted into families in, in Scripture, I want you to know, 
that was a big deal. If you, if you read the Bible and you think that it's anti-woman, oh, you missed it. That's a tangent. I'm not going to go down that, but it is radically pro-woman. Radically. People's minds would have been blown that God Almighty would adopt a daughter. But here you have these fully grown 30-something, 40-something-year-old men being adopted into a family. That sounds kind of goofy from our perspective, but adoption, again, meant something different to them. You would have these fully grown men now legally holding no responsibility to their birth family, but now legally having obligations to their new family. And so a lot of times it was a way to bring someone in um, to help care for you because now they were law-bound. They were going to get your inheritance, but they also had responsibilities. In fact, one of the routes out of slavery in Roman time was to be a, a good and faithful slave. I hate that that existed to your master, and your master would adopt you, and now you would officially, legally become a son and have every right that a son has. That was frequent. That was common. And a lot of times, the reason for this, not just to care for whoever was doing the adopting, but it was a way to preserve a vision or a mission of a family. little crazy fact for you. There was about a hundred-year stretch in Roman history where all of the Caesars were adopted by the previous Caesars, where there was no blood lineage to trace back, but all of them became legally adopted sons. And effectively what they did is they looked out among the people who they had with them and they picked the person who was best suited to carry on the vision of Rome. And they said, all right, you're a son now. You're in line for the throne. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means that these new sons and daughters being adopted into God's family around the globe are now immediately adopted into the work and the mission and the vision of the Father who adopted them. It means that while the ultimate revelation of sons and daughters is still a ways off, the immediate adoption can serve to relieve some of that corruption and tension in the world. I know for myself, I spent many years before Christ adding my fair share of sin to the sea of sin that's corrupting our world. I was doing damage. I was a significant reason that creation was groaning. However, today, my family, hopefully my church, if not, then come talk to me privately afterwards and we'll fix it. My neighborhood, my workplace is better because I'm a son and I've got a mission now. The world absolutely would be a better place with more Christians. That shouldn't be a controversial thing to say. It kind of feels like it is, but it definitely shouldn't be. The world would be a better place with more sons and daughters caretaking the Father's creation. Who better to care for the Father's creation than the child he has adopted for the purpose of passing on his vision and mission? 
Believers have the ability to affect change in the world because we as sons and daughters take responsibility for what belongs to our Father. Mark Davis, you may know that name, he took over as the owner of the Oakland, now Vegas, Raiders football team. It's been a number of years, but he inherited that from his father. And in the last couple of weeks, it's been just interesting kind of watching him personally handle some of the things that have come up with the team, and it struck me. First off, he had a coach that was uh, making plenty of comments that did not line up with the values that he wanted to be part of his and his father's organization. And so he kicked him out. Then after that, there was a tragedy where one of his star players, a first-round draft, was driving drunk and got in an accident and killed a young lady. And he did two things. First off, he didn't wait for all the legal stuff to sort out before sending him away. No, he cut him that day because that was not part of what he wanted his father's legacy to be. But also, when asked about that player, he became emotional and he said, hey, just because he's not part of the team anymore, that doesn't mean that I've given up on him. I'm paraphrasing his words, but he made it abundantly clear that he had not cut this player out of his life. He was absolutely going to be there for him and help him to get his life back together. And then what really hit me was just a couple, um, couple days ago, he showed up without any fanfare, without any publicity, without any media, without any big statements, and quietly sat through the funeral of that young woman who was in the car wreck. That hit me. Because despite not doing any of those negative things himself, he still took responsibility for those personally. Can I tell you, that's just one microcosm example of what it looks like to take ownership of what was your father's. Imagine what our world would look like if we stopped living for what makes us feel good today and instead began to take personal responsibility for what God would like to see done with his kingdom. While we wait for that final revelation of God's sons and daughters, we can through our actions and then also through our support for missionaries who again are going and seeing to the adoption of more sons and daughters, ease the groaning in a sin-weary world. We're not stuck with things as they are. We can absolutely affect them. So I want to wrap up today by touching on one more example of how our groaning with creation can drive us to action through practical partnership with missions. The last point mentioned in our verse today is that we groan with creation for the birth of a glorious, glorified church. We've discussed Jesus' return, but in the scriptures it, it talks about what he is returning for because he's on a mission when he comes back too. Among other things, like returning for his glory, he is coming back for a bride. The Bible tells us that his return will culminate in a wedding feast. 
It's about that wedding day. And again, I want to correct some skewed thinking that we have in the church of who the bride is or what the bride is. So often it's, Adam, you're the bride of Christ. Joe, you're the bride of Christ. Almost. But let's not miss a really important detail. The bride of Christ is the big C church. It is the culmination of believers together. So absolutely, you're a part of that. But just like Scripture tells us, right, that we are a body made up of many parts, Jesus didn't come back to marry an ankle. I've yet to be to a wedding where the bride was a bunch of disassembled body parts carried in a basket. He's coming back for a church. The verses that it talks about creation being in birthing pains, I believe that it's not a stretch and perfectly fair for me to say that these birthing pains, part of what's being birthed is this glorified church being made ready for her wedding day. There are multiple facets of what it takes to get the bride ready. First off, again, like we just talked about, you can't be part of it if you're never part of it, right? You can't be a son unless you're a son. So people need to be saved. But we've discussed that already. We also need people to become mature in Christ because, again, he's coming back for a spotless, beautiful, mature bride. Discipleship and sanctification are just as key components to the church as salvation should be. And missions does all of that. Tonight, you're going to hear from, as we talked about, one of our missionaries who went beyond showing up at a stadium, preaching to 10,000 people, a bunch of people raised their hands. He said, awesome, bless you, got on a plane and left. That's not what he did. He went and lived in a community and built a sustaining church that disciples people matures people, raises new leaders up, and he's going to do it all over again. Missions is a necessary tool for preparing the bride of Christ for her wedding day. Missions is just as needed as if you had a big glitzy glam fancy wedding, the photographer and the hair lady and the nail lady and all those people. Missions is that. And the God who came to live among us. The God who put on flesh. The God who went from never-ending praise to ridicule and threats. The God who took an undeserved beating on your behalf. Who was betrayed by the people he loved. Who carried a cross up the hill to be tortured. Who shed his blood for you who rose again victoriously, the God who comforts you, the God who heals you, the God who made everything in all of creation, that God deserves an amazing bride. And He will not be shortchanged in any way on His wedding day. He is rightly owed praise from every person who has walked this planet. And the Bible says that 
on that day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God. Make no mistake, no living person will stand before the throne and deny praise to Jesus. But with that being said, His will is to get the praise now and not wait for judgment day. He would much rather hear it from your lips now. He would much rather hear the voice of His church speaking today than have a huge portion of the people He died for waiting till that moment of judgment to proclaim it for the first time. Missions is being jealous for our future groom to get what he deserves the way he deserves to get it. Raise your hand if you're married. Guess I should raise my hand. Okay, keep your hand up if your spouse has ever done a prepaid pickup of you know, shopping stuff or food or whatever where you pay for it on the app and then you go and grab it and go, right? Okay, number of people. You can put your hands down. Okay, so imagine that your spouse comes home one day and says, I went there and they only had half my order. And they told me I'm not getting the other half. And they're not going to give me a refund. Raise your hand if that would upset you, even though it happened to your spouse. Can I tell you this? I recently went to a coworker's wedding, and uh, one of the highlights, probably the highlight, was him performing a song that he had written for his new bride. And uh, if you're watching, you killed it, man. Good job. That was awesome. But there was a line that was thrown in there, and it was, it played off kind of goofy, but it, it stuck with me. He talked about how, and this apparently is something that has happened a number of times, but this, this song was about how he's going to continue putting effort in, continue loving her. And he refers to, when Starbucks messes your order, I'll walk right back on in and make them make it right. And again, that was kind of thrown in as a silly little example, but that absolutely is a valid expression of love for his bride. Much in the same way, but to an infinitely larger degree, missionaries are simply acting as the spouse who sees that Jesus hasn't got the entirety of what he has already paid for, and they're going to go and make it right. Do you see that this morning? This has always been probably the main focus of missions. There's a story I want to share that I think encapsulates this idea of I'm going to take personal offense, to personal responsibility for my groom not getting what he paid for. In the 1700s, there were two young men who lived in Germany. And they had heard about an island in the modern-day Caribbean where it was run by a staunchly atheistic British man. And he kept 
somewhere in the range of 2,000 to 3,000 slaves on his island. And he vowed that no preacher, no missionary would step foot on his island. If they got shipwrecked, they would be put in a hut on the far end of the island, not allowed to speak to anyone, and sent on their way the next morning. These two young German men, though, they couldn't just sit by and know that there were two, 3,000 people literally slaving away who would not ever be allowed to hear the hope of Jesus. And so they did the only thing that they could do. They didn't just pray and hope that it got better. They connected with the people who bought and sold slaves for that owner and said, I've got two guys. And these young men in their 20s sold themselves into a lifetime of slavery knowing that this was the one opportunity they had to make sure those people on the island heard the gospel. When they boarded the boat to leave, they looked back on friends and family who were seeing them off, and they shouted something out at them. And what they shouted became a rallying call that was used time and time again for a missions movement that was thriving at the time and has been taken and used even still to this day. They shouted this. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. How is it today? And I'm I'm preaching to myself too. I hope you know this. So many can come in on a Sunday, sing about their love for their groom, Jesus, and yet remain totally deaf or indifferent to the injustices done to their supposedly beloved king. If you love someone, you will take personal responsibility for anything robbing them of what they are rightly owed. I love stories that have come out of this church over the years. Stories of young kids deciding to sell some of their toys or to do a lemonade stand or figure out this or that or the other thing so that they can contribute a quarter full Ziploc baggie of change to missions. Hand over a few crumpled up dollar bills. They don't have decades of sermons under their belts. 
what they have is childlike faith. And an innate understanding that they haven't squashed you down over the years. That to love Jesus is to involve yourself in giving him what he desires and what he has already bought. I don't ever want to be the man who claims to love Jesus but would rather spend my paycheck on an endless stream of things to distract me and silence my inner groaning and all the while claim that missions is outside of my budget. If an eight-year-old can find a way to do something, we all can. I'm sure that the men who resorted to selling themselves into slavery because they could think of no other way, who had to creatively, creatively problem-solve their way into selling themselves into slavery, I don't think those men would be impressed by those who say missions doesn't fit their budget after trying nothing and after putting it as their lowest priority. Today, I want to ask you to take that step of faith. Just like we talked about, it might, might be something as simple as putting your Bible on your desk might be something at that level because maybe that's scary for you. And watch what God can do. I want you to take a step that will show your commitment to easing the weight of sin in our world. That will show your desire to see Jesus return quicker. That will show your desire to see the Lamb receive the reward of his sufferings. Right now we're going to begin passing around faith promise forms. As that gets to you, I want you to look it over. Each year we fill these out, we collect them, and this is what we use to determine how many missionaries we can support financially. Or if we can give missionaries a raise. I encourage everyone to fill one of these out and then do whatever you have to do, lemonade stand or not, to follow up on the commitment that you've made. I want to let you know, Pastor said it, I'll say it too. Stacy and I are putting our money where our mouth is. I'm not exempt just because I'm the one taking the offering. We have given numbers that have scared us and we will continue to do so. And I know if push comes to shove, if money gets tight, I've got enough stuff that I don't need that I can't take to heaven that I can put on Facebook Marketplace and we'll be okay. If you feel like there isn't room in your budget for this, can I encourage you to look through your bank account for the last couple of months and ask yourself how important each of those expenses is. Now, don't mishear me today. I'm not saying... Neglect paying off debt and get taken to collections over this, okay? I'm not saying don't pay your rent. Becky says amen. 
But if canceling two of your four streaming platforms frees up $20 a month to further God's kingdom and make you also added benefit more sensitive to your internal groaning for him, I'm going to call that worth it. If cooking at home instead of eating out two out of the 15 times that you do it can put $30 to helping a missionary spread God's kingdom, I'm going to say that that's pretty doable when you put it in comparison to selling yourself into slavery. Teens, this is a great time for you as well. Lay the groundwork for a, a purposeful, awesome lifetime now. Don't wait. If you're a teen, find a way to make a couple bucks. I want to let you know that not a penny of the pledged money is going to pay anyone in this building. Okay? No, no one on staff, no one on, no pastors, no. That's not what this is for. Okay? If you're new, I want to make that clear. This goes to pay the salary for the living expenses for our missionaries. Okay? And I will go to the mat to say that that is a good and holy and right thing to do. Paul himself backed this idea of financial mission support. He said it's like a soldier, right? They shouldn't have to serve at their own expense. You wouldn't want our Marines out on the battlefield having to worry about if they're going to pay for dinner or if they're going to pay for bullets. There's a reason we don't do that. That's what we're doing for our missionaries. We're making sure that they have what they need to get the job done. In a moment, I'm going to pray and just ask the Lord to stir your faith, to awaken a holy groan in you that will push you to action, that will not just be Braxton Hicks contractions, but be the kind of birthing pains that get something done. And I want to throw this out to you as a challenge to you, because can I tell you what happens a lot? We hold on to it, and we say, play the God card, say, oh, I, you know, I got to hear from the Lord on this. It's going to take me a couple months. You don't say that initially, but that's kind of what happens. Or I got to talk this over with my family. And there's nothing wrong with talking it over with your family, right? We should have communication in our marriages about expenses. But so often we start there, and then that goes in a pile of stuff and then we get to January and we look at it and we go, oh, yeah, that's probably too late. And then you don't do it. Let's not do that this year. I mean, can we just not do that this year? If you need to talk it over with your spouse, great. Write a number that you're believing in Jesus for. Put it in the bucket here in a second. And uh, go talk to your spouse. And guess what? that number's got to change you can call Pastor Eric, you can call me, you can text us, whatever on Monday, tomorrow and say hey man I missed it, I actually got to go 100 instead of 175 I'd much rather do that than just nothing I know myself, I'm too busy if it sits on my stack of stuff to look at and pay 
We're not waiting. Can I have everyone stand for a moment with me? I'm going to pray. And when I'm done praying, we're just going to soak in the Lord's presence. We're going to worship. And we're going to get on out of here to get ready to come back tonight. Okay? If you need prayer, come on up to the front and you know, go to one of the corners here. Raise your hand. We'll have somebody pray for you. But before you leave, I want you to have that thing filled out with something. Okay? There's a part that you rip off and you keep for yourself so you know what you committed to, and there's a part that you put in the bucket. I want you to put that in the bucket for Jesus. Hopefully that doesn't confuse anybody. If you're still confused, come grab me. I'll help you fill it out. I'll add a couple zeros. Small part with you, yep. Small part stays with you, big part with us. Jesus, you're worth it. You're worth it. God, I thank you, Lord, that in Hebrews, when it talks about the cloud of witnesses spurring us on and encouraging us on, Lord, I thank you for those two young men. God, and I pray that we would be stirred and spurred by their declaration that the lamb who was slain would receive the rewards of his suffering. God, would we not try and excuse that cry away, excuse that call away? Would we not try to silence our own groaning for you to come and, and to fix what's been made wrong? God, I pray that just like Hebrews talks about, that we would be stirred up and spurred forward. We would be encouraged by those young men's testimony. God, that we would be called by your Spirit to take our part in this and to act in faith. And the great part is, Jesus, the more that we allow ourselves to be guided by faith, the more we can celebrate the victories. And I thank you, Lord, that tonight's going to be a celebration of victories that you have won from the last time we did this several years ago with Greg. But Lord, we, we need more because the job's not done yet. Until we see you face to face, until we can touch the holes in your hand. The job's not done. Give us faith right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let him speak to you. Let him guide you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com.